How you doing? I'm doing good. <laughs> we always start these. How you doing? <laughs> another We've day, seen, another podcast. It's good uh, stuff. Yeah, dude, I am really in love with this podcast and this conversation. Uh, uh-huh. I came across Jared Nash uh, just through a roundabout source. He was talking on biblical inerrancy. Yeah, and uh, I asked you. I said, "Hey, maybe we should have this guy on the show." And you're like. I know that guy. We yeah. go way back. Yeah. And so another cool connection, reconnection yeah. led yeah, to this was, conversation. Yeah. We dove into inerrancy. We started where we always do on the goodness of God. Uh, Jesus' perfect theology. I met Jared through Bethel, through connections with Bethel well, at least a decade ago. We talk about that a little bit. And then it, it's not long before we're jumping into how we approach scripture, our hermeneutic, Christ-centered hermeneutic which jared uh is is just minutes away from uh, having a phd he's been uh he's been uh, and he shares a little bit about that but he's been uh, uh educating himself uh, about the goodness of god and um so hermeneutics and then eventually we get into a conversation that uh, uh touches on violence justice and maybe what that yeah. might look like yeah, and Jesus Jesus says the standard for uh, our view of the kingdom of God, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, as being the yeah. constitution of the kingdom of God. Uh, yeah. Jared speaks into this with just such a grace and an eloquence, but also um, not pushy or forceful. Yeah, but yeah, leaving you to hey ponder for yourself, you know. Yeah. The yeah. scriptures that we tend to use to justify our own acts of violence, be it individually or as a nation, um, really get challenged in the life of Jesus. And so yeah. uh, this was a great conversation. And I think people are really going to rethink a lot of things after they hear Jared. Yes, yes, I agree. Guys, enjoy this, our conversation with Jared Nash. Uh, Jared Nash, man, I, I'm so excited to talk to you, my friend, and it's been good catching up with you before we hit the record button. Um, one of the things we were just talking about was how far back we go as far as when we first met. It's been at least a decade since we connected uh, through Steve Backlund, and, I, and you can maybe share a little bit about that, about some of your story there. But but um, it was fun when Derek asked me if I'd heard of this guy, Steve, or if I'd heard of this guy, Jared. And he, then he was kind of saying your last name, Nuesher, because it's a little bit of a different <laughs> spelling. And when I went and looked it up, I'm like, oh, my God, yeah, I know this guy. And he's amazing. And then and then I kind of dove into your Instagram and it was reconnecting with you because, you know, I kind of lost track. I guess it's been about five years since you've been over in the UK and and uh, was just was just fascinated by um uh, it was fun to connect with you and see your three kids, and and then it was fun to to hear what God's been re- re- revealing to you, and that we've been tracking kind of similar roads. And I have this thought, and and I'd love for you to introduce yourself, but it's kind of one of these thoughts that I've had recently that about Bethel because of how much it influenced me, and and um, I've always, I say this about Bethel that I got Jesus's perfect theology there, and and God is in a good mood, or He's always good, like the goodness of God. And, and it's interesting to me that I, I keep running into these 
these folks that are now a generation maybe removed from their time at Bethel. And I keep finding this commonality of what we're running after. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think some of the stuff we're going to dive in today around uh, scripture and hermeneutics and the goodness of God and Christ-centric thinking. And But Jared, I'm, it's been fun catching up with you, but introduce yourself uh, to, to our audience a little bit. Yeah, likewise. Really good to catch up. It has been so long. Um, well, I'm, yeah, I'm just honestly really happy to get to join in on this. I've been <clears throat> following uh, a bit from a distance and I think I've had a better, I've kept better track of you uh, <laughs> than maybe you have of me, but it, it's, <clears throat> yeah. So I, um, like you said, I was in California for about 10 years. Um, when I finished university, I went there for ministry school, um, did the school, uh, hopped on staff and was doing um, some time there uh, working in the school of ministry. And then <clears throat> partway through, I got a real desire to um, go back into education and uh, pursue a master's of divinity. I was like, you know, <clears throat> the stuff I'm, I'm learning here and teaching here, it's great, but I I really want some more depth. Um, and even my undergrad didn't have any sort of theological training. It was in communications and, and arts. And I was like, I, I really want to get in there and have you know, biblical studies courses and learn Greek and um, all that good stuff. So I found a seminary uh, and did that on the side of my job. So I was, you know, working in the day and then in the evenings and the weekends was doing, you know, my master's courses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then about a year before finishing my master's, <clears throat> I started getting this desire, like, man, I think I might want to do a PhD. I, I really, really like this. And I was starting to enjoy what I'm doing in the evenings and the weekends more than what I was doing during the day. Right. And it was like the, you know, the, the pastoral work and the ministry, um, it's valuable and it's good and I can do it, but really getting into, um, research and writing <clears throat> was a, just a lot of fun. So I began researching, uh, PhD programs and ended up finding the right one <clears throat> through through a connection, um, Stephen Backhouse. Um, he's a good friend, and he connected me to one of his colleagues here in in England. And so, okay. long story short, I ended up choosing King's College as my place, and um, under this amazing supervisor, Chris Tilling, uh, and did that. And so, we moved our whole family uh, in 2019 here. And so I've been a Texan, uh, in exile living in England, uh, for the last roughly four years. Yeah. Um, a big, a big T fan now. I not really. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's me. I've got, um, an incredible wife, uh, three young kids, um, seven, five and two. And then I'm on the very, very, very tail end of my PhD. I've got just a few months left. Um, I've already submitted it. It's done, but I just have to defend it. And then um, on to some work I've, I've landed for the fall. Yeah. And it's in Germany, right? Some pretty cool opportunities there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Well, Jared, yeah. I, I came across your, your Instagram account and um, I uh, you had a three-part series on in, inerrancy where you just did a quick mm. little video 
uh, it was so good. And I, I reached out to Jason. I said, Jason, do you know this guy, Jared Neush? <laughs> by the way, if you want to find his Instagram account, it's N-E-U-S-C-H. However, now I know it's Nash. But uh, Jared, I, I just thought it was outstanding. And the content was so um, informative, uh, easy to understand. And I think it's going to be really helpful to our audience. But you made this statement that the doctrine of inerrancy ends up conflicting with a Christ-centered hermeneutic. And then from there, you just launched into this three little three-part video on Instagram. Could you dive into that a little Very bit? Because uh, I think that's going to be really helpful for a lot of our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're really kind. Um, I, uh, yeah, I posted a statement, um, uh, I, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago, um, just saying that the doctrine of inerrancy ends up conflicting with the Christ-centered hermeneutic and that ultimately you kind of have to have one or the, or the other. You can't serve both masters. They will yeah. um, conflict. And, and I received a bunch of questions <laughs> once I posted that, that text and people were like, all kind okay, hearted. What? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I am actually blessed with quite a kind community on Instagram, yeah, but that's yeah, beautiful. definitely some confusion and questions like you've yeah. got to unpack this. So I was like, all right, well I should do some videos. So that's kind of where that came from. Um, I guess in short, one of the, one of the, uh, key theological axioms or, um, claims that is, you know, essential for me and has been a big part of my journey is that, um, Jesus shows us what God is like, yeah. um, God's self-revelation in Christ by the spirit is the foundation of, of all truth and very, very importantly, of himself. Um, this is how we know what the Father is like. Um, yeah. it, it, it starts and ends in Jesus. Yeah. And so um, this is, uh, it's important for a number of reasons, but one of the areas it's meant to be very important in is in, in, her, in hermeneutics. Um, it's a nice the theological idea, but the implications have to make their way into how we interpret scripture. Yeah. Um, if Jesus shows us what the father is like, then we've got to look at all the texts that talk about God and make sure that Jesus is informing what the father is like. Um, and that's fun to do. It's a, it's a great journey, but one of, um, I have found one, one of the biggest hindrances to people rereading the Bible through this revelation is their commitment to the doctrine of inerrancy. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, Oh great. Jesus shows us what God is like. I can now understand the father as Jesus as revealed on the cross and in his teaching and his ministry. But then they have this higher loyalty to this doctrine they've been taught, which is called inerrancy. Um, and of course, you guys stop me anytime if you if you no, want to chime in. One or... of the points you, one of the points you bring out though that I thought was interesting is that that's relatively a very new thought in the history of the church. Um, it's quite a quite a yeah. modern <clears throat> thought, actually. Yeah, yeah. So definitely, you know, a, as a formal title, um, it's 
18th, 19th century stuff to have a, a formalized view of the doctrine of inerrancy. This is quite a new thing to be packaged in this way. And of course, you can find strands and certain people, certain um, church fathers who would say things that would look kind of like this view. Um, but it certainly has not dominated the church as this is orthodox hermeneutics, you know, right. or right. an orthodox view of scripture. Right. Um, it's it's definitely gained its primary force and its primary popularity in the last 100 to 200 years. And so that's one of the points I make is that it's a relatively modern way of viewing text and viewing literature is to, is to ask, are there errors in this? Is yeah. this historically true? Yeah. Especially with um, how many genres of literature there are in this library, the right, Bible. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you've got wisdom literature, poetry, um, narrative, just apocalyptic literature going on. You've got so many different things. And, to, and so then to kind of say some blanket thing like this is inerrant, that's almost nonsense. It, it, yeah. it, it's hard to understand what that could even mean when, when you're talking about poetry or again, visions or parables or biographies, which is the gospels. It's like, okay, what do we mean that there are no errors, especially when there are, you know, historical accounts that conflict in small details or authors that seem to be in dialogue back and forth on certain theological points. Um, so yeah, that's one of the approaches is just going, Hey, let's just question, um, what we mean by inerrancy. Uh, before we have that compete with the idea of Christ helping us reinterpret the scriptures. And for me, I, yeah. I, um, my upbringing was one in which the Bible was elevated in such a way that, um, and I've told the story on here many times, but uh, I, I had to do mental gymnastics around the goodness of God uh, because uh, of how I read scripture. And this idea of, of inerrancy uh, caused me to read um, God said in a way that interpreted that this must be what God is like. Mm -hmm. And sometimes God said some stuff in the Old Testament that is nothing like Jesus. And so for me, um, and, and I'm, I'll reference why, why I'm so thankful to Bill Johnson and, and Bethel, because when I first heard Bill say Jesus is perfect theology, I grew up in the church. It, it wasn't rocket science, and yet it was rocket science. Like when he said it, I intellectually I knew it, but my heart went, "Oh my goodness!" Like I like that is the simplest. And what it did, and and I've shared the story. This is where I, I eventually I shut all scripture down, and only read the gospels for for, for about two years. And it was mm -hmm. my journey of resetting my lens. And it, now I can have the language to say it to reset my lens to a Christ-centric lens. Yeah. Um, but that's, at the time, I was, and the reason it was two years is anytime, and by the way, all my Bible college teaching and all the all the teaching that would have come from pastors would have said, you never do that. So I stopped telling people I did that <laughs> because it would undermine what I, what I was on a journey to discover, which is Jesus's, Jesus's perfect theology. But, yeah. but every time, it, it took two years because every time I would tiptoe back into scripture, that old paradigm would come crashing on me and I'd get confused and I'd get anxious. Hmm. I, I, all the things that would go off of me that I knew weren't even legal activities for a son, confident in his father's thing, I'm getting anxiety, I'm getting depressed, I'm getting fearful, and I'd have to back back right off and go right back to the, the gospels and stay there 
until my lens was Jesus. And then I began to tiptoe into New Testament first. And, and then I began to discover, um, I, I got set free from this, this doctrine of inerrancy uh, into, if that, that's the way I would describe it. I began yeah. to discover Jesus. Mm-hmm. You, he can be found in all of these places. Yeah. And he can become the, the lens of my interpretation. But speak to the journey of how you got there. Because um, I'm sure you've run run into this 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 uh tension that you i mean you re- you referenced it that folks are put in a spot where they have to uh do mental gymnastics around the goodness of god yeah well and first of all your story is awesome i love hearing that um i think this was one of the um one of the inspirations for me to try and pursue a phd is i wanted to try and understand the interaction between the two testaments, the old Testament and the new Testament. And I, you know, I thought, Hey, I'm not, I'm not into Marcionism, but we do look like we're seeing a couple of different images of God here. And, um, how do we reconcile this? And just like you said, people do some hermeneutical gymnastics to, to make all of this kind of coalesce and come together. Um, and I thought, okay, there's, I really want to look into this. And so I think it's, it's just been a journey of um, realizing that the new Testament is pretty clear about this. Um, you know, John one 16 and 17 it, it w- is a critical text for me um, and, and helping me kind of anchor this journey. So it says um, <clears throat> the law was given through Moses. Um, yeah but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. So the law was given through Moses, but truth, we can get that through Jesus. And and then it says, um, let's see, I think I've got it just to make sure I quote it right. Um, No man has seen God. Exactly. No one has ever seen God. It is the only son himself, God, who is close to to the father's heart, who has made him known. (laughs) Um, That's a sound hermeneutic, I think. It is such an overt hermeneutical claim from John um, at the beginning of the biography of Jesus. So it's like John is super aware of what he's doing and why he's doing it. And to make this at at the introduction to your biography of Jesus to say, hey, by the way, we get the law from Moses, but we get truth from Jesus. And then it's like, well, what kind of truth? He says, no one has ever seen God. Um, and then, you know, this is something I say in, in my videos, but he's obviously aware that in the biblical tradition, people have seen God. There's numerous right. accounts. So he's yeah. not making a quantitative claim that tr- actually no people have ever. He's making a, a, qualitative, a, a qualitative one. So mm-hmm. the quality of our sightings of God is such that we haven't seen him yet because when the radiance and the clarity of his self revelation comes in Christ by the spirit, that would cause someone like John, the author to <laughs> say, wow, <laughs> no one has ever seen God. <laughs> so this is how blinding and how high definition of an image this is. It's wow. because we see, we see him in Jesus, you know, and then he says, it's, it, it is the son the only son who is close to the father who has made him known. He's close to the father's heart. So it's, again, it's, it's about 
the nature of the father's heart and the way that he is, his ways. Um, and Jesus shows us this. So John front loads the gospel with this hermeneutical idea. And then we get into the story of Jesus. And so that, that text, you know, among others, you know, it's, it's Hebrews. He is the exact, um, representation, you know, mirror, there's other texts as well. Yeah. 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 That's these things have been, um, important for me kind of like you, Jason, just to make sure when I have questions about texts, things where I'm like, gosh, I don't feel like I understand why God did that or what God is doing in this story. Right. Um, primarily old Testament. Sure. I can go back to what I do know. I do know what God is like through, through Jesus. Yeah. And I can sit there until kind of the, the dizziness goes away and I have clarity. Then I can kind of, I have my focus regained and I can turn yeah. back to that confusing, yeah. that confusing text. And I'd rather have a question mark there it camped is. in the old Testament, than put a question mark about, the nature of God somewhere in the new, because we're not allowed to have that question mark lingering there, but sure. I can say, man, this, you know, um, Joshua's military exploits, that's confusing. Uh, it seems like God was endorsing or commanding or involved. I I don't quite understand that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not going to put a question mark on the, on the nature of God. I'm not allowed to. Yeah. Because Jesus shows us what the father's like, bro. There's so much freedom uh, there. Yeah. And Jared, my, my journey is similar to Jason's, um, you know, before we kind of came back together around the, this podcast, um, the difference was I was pastoring, uh, and I, I quit reading my Bible for two years, except for the gospel of John. I only read the gospel of John for two years. So our congregation just got a pretty much (laughs) simple love message for those two years while I was burning the house down. And, uh, and then when the, you know, when the cold ashes gathered around the wind of the spirit blew and I found out I was standing on a cornerstone named Jesus, that was my experience. And, um, it was, it was hard, but it was beautiful. And, um, yeah, I, I think some of the inerrancy things for me, really centered around the same path. Um, you know, Bill Johnson's voice, you know, of God's goodness. And then, uh, Brian Zond, you know, Jesus is what God has to say about himself. I started listening to Brad Jerzak and I remember listening to a podcast of, uh, from him years and years and years ago. And he just straight up said he went to, uh, an, a mentor of his in the Orthodox church. And he said, Hey, you know, this command from Samuel, to Saul to basically commit genocide, kill them all, men, babies, donkeys, throw them on the rocks, genocide. And he said, but, but it says God said, and he said, no, the simplicity of it is, is God didn't say, no, he didn't. And so uh, that, that just blew my mind. I'm like, oh, that's heresy. That's heresy. <laughs> but then when I began to you know, flip the script uh, that Jesus was doing the script that Jesus was engaged in when he came and said, you've heard it said, but I say, and literally contradicted hmm. what had been said. Um, that to me started changing everything. Cause I looked at Jesus as my perfect theology, Jesus as my hermeneutic, you know, and when he says, Hey, you know, no, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. If God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, then who's saying that? 
So who am I going to believe? And, um, and that, that began to change it for me. And of course, you're right. There's big question marks. You know, I get asked all the time, well, what about the guy that touched the Ark of the Covenant and God killed him? And uh, I'm like, you know what? I don't know. Maybe it fell on him. And they associated that as an <laughs> act of God. Uh, it's plausible, you know, but I'm not here to explain all the accounts of the Old Testament. I'm here to reveal Jesus. So in that sense, it really begins to change uh, some of our violent views and wrathful views of God. And I know you want to get into that. So I want to, I want to give you the, the mic to just talk about some of the nonviolence and the, um, you know, centering around Jesus that begins to flip the script of the wrathful God of the Old Testament. <clears throat> yeah. Great, great segue there. You, you are a professional. Um, so I guess just to kind of um, wrap up that last kind of section would be to, would be to say that um, we have inerrancy as um, for, for most people, it is a, it is with, really good intentions because we think it is a, a having a very high view of scripture. And so it's a noble thing. Like I am treating it with the utmost respect and I'm taking it very seriously. Um, <clears throat> the issue is that when we start with this view and we open the book up to Genesis one and we have perfectly recorded accuracy on what the father is like from the outset without any need for the incarnation to bring clarity, then we have to reread John's opening claims to say, we have always seen God. We have known what God is like. Um, Moses gives us truth and Jesus gives us truth. We right. have known, and it's not just the Jesus who shows us what the father's like, who's close to his heart. All biblical authors have known and recorded with perfect accuracy the whole time. Right, right. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, it comes from a great place, but ultimately it, it is a, it is a bit of a, um, a, a hamstringing of this invitation and this exciting adventure to take this revelation of Christ and go back through and revisit um, depictions of God with what we now know with certainty because of the incarnation. So just yeah. to, just to kind yeah. of tie that up is yeah. to say it comes from a great place, but ultimately um, it, it conflicts because it says we've always known yeah. and we have known with perfect clarity. So yeah, the incarnation's great. And maybe he shows us a couple things that God hadn't done before, but his character has been perfectly revealed and it's been clear. Um, and so that, that's where I see those two things really, yeah, um, in conflict, it's conflicting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and well, really that, that's another thing that kind of did it for me or undid it for me was reading Athanasius, um, on the incarnation and just realizing the gravity and the value that our, a creator would place in his creation by becoming his creation. He became one of us to rescue all of us. And so in Christ, we have this, not just this. Uh, God that was willing to, you know, a God of love that was willing to show himself in this cruciform, you know, to enter death on our behalf uh, and, and kind of blow it up from the inside out is kind of my atonement theory. 
Um, <laughs> but he it also places this tremendous value on every human being who's created in the image of God, which you know uh, destroys the whole um, you know just a dirty, rotten sinner, and God kind of has to turn his back. He can't, you know, can't exist in sin. Jesus destroys that myth by coming and stooping into our world to, uh, you know, understand and know what it's like to be us, <laughs> you know, that God would do that. Uh, you know, every other religion demands you do something to get to your God. Our God got to us, and that's the beauty of the gospel. So, um, you know, and I've, I've said this before, and I don't know, I, I'm still wrangle, wrangling with it, but that... Um, the cross is the only act of violence by man that would ever produce true justice <laughs> because no other act of violence by man will ever bring any type of justice. And yet we have this kind of cross. The irony of the cross is that, wow, our own violence against God is what secured really true justice. So, yeah, no, thanks for clarifying that. I, I mean, uh, I think the inerrancy conversation is going to be ongoing, but, you know, I mean, it's pretty sealed for me. Uh, Jesus yeah. is going to be my guide uh, through scriptures. He's going to be my rabbi through scriptures. I, I'm so thankful, Jared, that you're that you're ha you're about to put letters in front of your name here. Um, I, and I mean that because while I am not wired in that way, uh, I, I'm thankful that someone can walk you through uh, through this thing, even in an academic way, and say, "Hey, let me take you through the church history. Let me walk you through all of of the cultural context of the day, and let me give you the Greek. Let me let me walk break down Hebrew, and and you do that so well, and um, and you do it toward this end, and this is where it, it, it's it's the simple thing for me. You you made the point. If I'm going to question something. It can't be the goodness of God as Jesus revealed it. And so I made a decision actually when I went back because I could, I'm not a studier in the way that you are, but, and, and I'm, and I don't even necessarily, I, I have to learn it and then go read what you guys are writing <laughs> because of that and how I'm wired. I, this is how I would approach it. I'd say, listen, I don't know what that story of Joshua means. I, I don't know, but I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let my doctrine of inerrancy put me in a bind where suddenly this is defining what the goodness of God is, and it's in conflict with what Jesus revealed the goodness of God to be. And here's why, because for me, the bottom line is intimacy. You can't have intimacy where there is no trust. And if he isn't always good, you can't trust him. And so for me, that was this guiding line that said, I, I, I want to be able to climb into his lap. Jesus defines what the goodness of God is like. So I'd rather live in a question regarding the interpretation of what's going on here in the Old Testament instead of a question about the goodness of God, because that will undermine my faith, cut me off from access to intimacy and put me in insecurity and desperation and all the rest of it. And so that's for me how I got there. So from there, then what happens, right, is, is you get your hermeneutic set, you get your, you get your hermeneutic lens reset, which is what I did. And then you start realizing all these places where you've got flaws on your lens regarding who God is in all kinds of areas. And, and I think um, the one that now I'm trying to segue, just not doing as well as Derek did, but <laughs> in the areas of violence, in the areas of justice, uh, you suddenly are rethinking and reevaluating through this, this Christ-centered hermeneutic. And, and um, alarm bells start going off in our culture today 
because um, we've got this idea of justice that is punitive, that is retributive, that that uh, has us outside of God trying to get in, uh, has us having to interpret God through this punishment-based justice that we're reading in the Old Testament. And and suddenly we're, we're having to wrestle with all kinds of um, – things that undermine access to intimacy. I'll stop talking, but I'm trying well, to it, Jason, one thing, it's also informing our yeah. current culture, our current yes, Christian yeah. evangelical nationalist culture is being informed by the wrath of God, the justice of God as retributive instead of restorative. And so it's 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 not just that we're uh, yeah, that gets reinforced in the, you know, in the Old Testament that there's this dualistic view of God, which you and I have already, you know, we've already reconciled that, but then it begins to inform politics and, you know, who we vote for, who we go to war with. It's kind of like a, it's almost a modern day crusade. I mean, to be brash about it, but it's like, Hey, yeah, we can justify that because of this, because I read this. And it's like, well, Jesus is like, hold on, hold on. Um, let's, let's look at me first, you know? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Anyway. Uh, let me let me say that I'll set you up because I got the setup. You you make this point. You'll never, never, never hear uh, uh, Jesus promoting uh, the killing of his enemies. Uh, yeah. And, and, and uh, when you start to, that'll start to reinform you uh, re- regarding, okay, well then what is justice? Yeah. What does it look like if it isn't that? Uh, I know that's something that's burning in your heart because I've spent some time on your Instagram reconnecting with you, man. So, <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I think, you know, you guys have, have nailed it. It's when you start to try and reconcile um, what we learn about the father through Christ while also maintaining a, a commitment to getting into the old Testament, this will be probably, I would say the first, uh, issue or area of cognitive dissonance you'll run into. You will go, it seems like there's a contradiction here. Um, the, the area of violence is like the top, top thing. And for, for most people, they're either aware that this is an area of seeming contradiction that they don't know what to do with, or they're kind of pretending that it's not there. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I haven't, I haven't really talked to real serious thinkers who, who go, Nope, there's perfect continuity between these testaments and the image of God. You know, it, it's you, if you're, if you're really honest, um, then you see, yeah, there is something needs to be resolved here. Yeah. And so, and so kind of like we've alluded to you, you either have to resolve it in how we understand Jesus and go, well, maybe it's not. And we kind of end up neutering the sermon on the Mount and changing things up, or you have to resolve. Maybe Jesus is showing us what God has been like. Um, and, and so, yeah, for, for me, I think, um, I had been given and had, had, uh, I had been handed down through, you know, church tradition and atonement theology where, um, divine violence is at the very center of the gospel. It's at the nucleus yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, and without divine violence, meaning the father crushing the son <clears throat> out of necessity, he must kill him. We wouldn't be forgiven and we wouldn't be saved. So thank goodness for violence from the father. Thank goodness God is violent. Otherwise we're all in trouble, right? He needs to be violent. 
Otherwise, we would experience his violence. So his violence saves us from his violence, you know, um, <laughs> just to kind of reduce it down. Yep. And yeah. this, I guess, maybe did make a bit of co- continuity between the violent father in the Old Testament and then there. But then when you begin to look at Jesus, um, you you realize, okay, he is um, walking around teaching uh, non-retaliation to to his disciples and his followers and crowds. He's saying, hey, and this is not theory. This is Roman occupied territory. So this is not as abstract as it is in most Western churches. We're like, hey, if someone takes your coat, do this. That That's not happening to most of us. People aren't asking us to carry their bags a mile or people aren't slapping us on the cheek very often or you know, stealing our cloaks. But for them, this was like common example something they would in fact experience. And so he says, here's the, he, here are the ways you do not retaliate. Instead, you, you subvert their acts of violence with kindness. And this undoes what they're doing. And it ultimately is how we overcome evil. So he, he overtly teaches nonviolence. He says, love your enemies. Um, and he has to say, love your enemies because it used to be love your neighbor. And we redefined neighbor as you know, just the people that were next to us. And so he had to go, okay, no, 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 no. Love your enemies. Basically the people that you want to be violent to, I'm going to, I'm going to help you out. You have to love them too. Um, so he's overtly teaching nonviolence. Then we see him perfectly model it. So he is, he, he receives, he absorbs violence and he takes it all the way to, to the cross. Uh, and, responds he exhales forgiveness um not just to the jews but to the romans so people who were killing him um then when he resurrects this is the perfect moment for for retribution you know if if a king or a um a, a revolutionary leader comes back to life, the people who killed him are in trouble. And this person is going to come and right, draw sure. blood. I've seen that movie, man. It's all the movies. Totally. <laughs> um, when you think they've killed that, that bad guy and then you see his finger twitch in the rubble and then he comes back, it's like, Oh, everyone's in trouble yeah, now. Yeah. Um, so Jesus comes back to life and this, and this is it. This is, this is a chance to exact vengeance. Uh, and he doesn't instead he equips and commissions his disciples to let everyone into, into the family go and make disciples. And then just in case we think, Oh, well, this whole nonviolence thing, I'm sure he was exaggerating in the sermon on the Mount. And I'm sure maybe he just wasn't violent because he had a special messianic mission where he wasn't allowed to be, he had to receive it as a sacrificial lamb, but that's not really meant to be a model for us. Well, then you just look at his disciples. Let's say, okay, well, were his 12 disciples then violent? Did they self-defend and did they start an insurrection no, actually, they followed the way of the cross. They did exactly yeah. what Jesus did, yeah. and they pe- were peacefully martyred. And yeah. so it's kind of just overtly there all the way through. Yeah. And so then when you go, okay, this message of um, peace, forgiveness, and nonviolent enemy love, this is what Jesus is teaching and showing. Um, well, John tells us that, this is how we see the father and he's showing us what what the father is like. (laughs) This became this core idea that I had to push all the way through the text. I have to have this idea and go, this, 
this matters. And um, again, I have qu- I have question marks on on understanding God's role um, or involvement in in divine violence texts. Um, and I go, okay, there's there's a number of ways we can understand these things. Maybe it's ancient war rhetoric, which was a very common thing to kind of help their nation stack up against surrounding nations and saying, well, God did this. And then you find out in the next book of the Bible, oh, the Canaanites were actually still around. They didn't really wipe them all out. Right. They were still there in the next book, which is chronological. Sure. Um, so there's bits and pieces that give us indicators. That there's, there's There might be more than sometimes the overt narrative of the text is letting on. And Jesus um, shows us that we've, we have to reconsider this. So I'll stop kind of preaching on this, but so for me, violence became a core piece. And one of the reasons it's probably stayed as kind of my, um, megaphone topic is because I'm a part of, uh, as an American, I'm a part of a quote, Christian superpower who is obsessed with violence and thinks the way of violence is how we solve our problems. It's how we beat other nations is how we bring about justice. Derek, you were referring to that. It's like, because, you know, I, it probably wouldn't be my megaphone thing if I lived in a nation that didn't try and mix violence with Christianity and make violence sacred. But because we are so obsessed with blending the Christian message with the military and defending and killing, I'm like, I've got to be loud about this. This yeah. is, um, I haven't made this the main thing. You've made this the main thing. And so uh, I think Jesus shows us otherwise. Hey guys, we uh, have heard the cry of our audience and uh, you guys are looking for deeper connection than just listening to us talk and interview people. Right. You want to get to know one another. And so we're going to host a Zoom call, aren't we, Jason? <laughs> we are. And we have a date and time, August 29th, 2 p.m. Eastern. We're going to have a call with uh, some folks who listen to this podcast. What are we calling this? Taco? Taco this is our Taco Munities. Taco Munities <laughs> Zoom call. Uh, but we want you to join us in some conversation around rethinking God, but also to kind of develop a tighter community. So August 29th, 2 p.m. Eastern. That's right. You need to go to familystory.org to sign up for the mailing list to make sure that you get the Zoom link that we will send out a couple days prior. Uh, But we're inviting you to hang out with us uh, online for a while. We'll have question and answer. Uh, we'll get to know one another better. Uh, we want to yeah. hear from you directly. So yeah. what else, yeah. Jason? Well, we've heard a whole lot of requests about, hey, do you know someone in my area that thinks like this? Uh, right. and a whole lot of folks that are maybe feeling like they're on the journey alone. And so that's that's what got us here. How do we connect with you guys and how do we help you connect with one another? So yeah, um, August 29th, 2 p.m. Eastern Time afamilystory.org sign up on our mailing list and we'll we'll have a good time together feel free to bring tacos yeah yeah (laughs) if you want to feel free to join us with taco in hand but uh, please (laughs) mute your mic if that's the case (laughs) but uh hey 
it t- started off as a joke, Taco Immunities, yeah. but it's gaining momentum. And uh, we <laughs> want you to right. be a part of our Taco Immunity. <laughs> See you guys August 29th. Looking forward to it. Guys, my book is out, Leaving and Finding Jesus. If you've already read it, I would be so grateful if you would go to Amazon and write a review. This actually helps the rankings. It also helps people trust the book before they buy it. Uh, Thankful for you for that. And also so thankful for all the support that's come in over the last little bit. We're We're just blown away, blessed by folks' generosity. You know, Family Story is a nonprofit. This is a listener-supported podcast, and uh, we're just so grateful to be on the journey with you. Guys, I'm so thankful for you, praying life, joy, and wonder over you today. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Obviously, there's a lot of other voices as well. Brian Zond is, um, I think, doing yeoman's work on this subject and this topic. Um, You know, I, I guess I like to try and bring people into this thinking in the way of love as well. One of the things that I learned, you know, as a pastor, literally deconstructing in the pulpit, uh, was that God was so patient and loving with me in that process that when I kind of came out on the other side, it wasn't just to shove it in people's faces. Love constrained me to say, no, I need to love people into this idea that, you know, the Sermon on the Mount might be like the constitution of the kingdom of God. <laughs> and if it is, we have to take it seriously. And and I, I guess one of the ways I broached that was to just place everybody in a mindset that, look, and I did this after, the, after both elections, uh, 2016 and 2020. And I said, look around the room, look, look five people in the eye. There are people in here who voted for Trump. There's people in here who voted for Hillary or Biden. There's people here who voted for Kanye. There's people who wrote in Snoopy. <laughs> and there's people who didn't vote at all. So there's all these different categories. We're here. We're in this room. What unifies us? We are citizens of the kingdom first and foremost. And the moment we drop our identity to our political affiliation or American identity, uh, that's the moment we start bringing division. So the only unity possibility is this kingdom citizenship. So try to kind of use that as a catalyst to, you know, remind people of their position, but then also just to try to lovingly bring about this understanding of the way of Jesus is the way of nonviolence. Now, when you have people in your congregation who have their sons in the Rangers and in different armed forces, you know, you have to, say, yes, I understand that this is a noble and virtuous position of in our, in our country. Um, and I don't discount their service in any way. Um, but ultimately, you know, where are we, where are we heading with this? And that's a, that's a tough fence to walk on, um, a lot of times. And that's where, you know, as a pastor, I want to, I want to truly bring people into this place. Um, also in a nonviolent way. I, I kind of love what Pete Inns talks about where he says, God let his kids tell his story until ultimately he let his son tell his story. You know, if my kids were out there writing lies about me as being wrathful, vengeful, evil, opening the earth and swallowing people. I mean, there's a, there's a popular uh, worship song right now. And one of the lyrics is um, praise is the 
praise praise is the water my enemies drowning and they're like yeah my enemies are drowning because my praise is the water and it's kind of like man we are just bringing this into every realm of of our consciousness um what other ways would you propose that we we be a voice about this but in in, in the way of love <clears throat> well f- first of all i um I appreciate you sharing um, the humility in your story in, in terms of th- this topic. And <clears throat> that is definitely a, in some ways my story as well. I, I had, I'm going to say maybe two or three full years of white knuckle gripping the view of just war theory and, and defending violence as a valid approach to defeating evil. And I, you know, as a Texan, I had it deeply ingrained in me (laughs) and um, not to say all Texans are like that, but you know, for me, it was, it was a basic thing. And so I extensively debated a couple of key friends of mine who were a bit further along in the journey than me. And they were kind and they were patient and they engaged in lengthy email and text conversations where we started having to change the font color to show our responses <laughs> to each other. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do in green this time, then purple, you know, just going on and on and on. <clears throat> and they were patient and I'm really thankful. And slowly the cogs turned and things began to make sense. And I had to leave behind certain pieces. And, um, and I wish it, it had been something that, you know, it could have been super quick, but, but it wasn't. And um, I'm, I'm thankful for, the journey and I'm thankful for the people who've been patient with me as I made my best arguments against this view, uh, for quite a while. Um, I, I think one, one of the ways I would, um, kind of speak about this view in love and promote this view is by <clears throat> acknowledging and understanding our, interconnectedness and our complicity in all of these things. So when I think about the military, I don't, um, I certainly don't take a moral high ground over people who are, uh, having to fight with guns and swords and going, you guys shouldn't be doing this. And we don't see Jesus, uh, casting shade on, on military, on soldiers. And, you know, we, we, I think, I go, man, I've, I've contributed, uh, in a number of ways. You could argue my taxes and my, 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 I mean, in so many ways, in so many ways I am involved and interconnected and what I can do is just try and point people towards the way of Jesus. Um, I can pray for peace and I can try and think of creative solutions outside of the way of the sword and just go, what other ways can we do this? You know, um, and whether that's making my vote count in a certain way or supporting, um, supporting people in ways. I, I, I just think, um, moral high ground is not the right way. Um, one, because it's ineffective, but two, because it's ridiculous and, um, it's it's arrogant. Yeah. So, so I think maybe understanding our own, interconnectedness and complicity in these broken systems and in these broken ways to try and solve problems and overcome evil. 
I would I would ask this too because I, I, I that's, that's the question overcome if we're having a conversation about overcoming evil. I mean, we're in a world where there's not one of us is uh, we're all aware of evil. It's it's real. It's it's offensive. It's in our face. It's a problem. And this is where I I love what you you addressed in Mark Driscoll, who's a well known teacher, was preaching, and you kind of addressed some of his thoughts. But his premise for taking up the sword is the, the idea that the only way to stop evil is by force. And I'm convinced every question that aches in the heart of humanity is answered in a greater revelation of his love. I, I'm thankful that we've got folks that are awakening to this love who are then who are then living as expressions of, of a way by which evil is defeated through the way of the cross. I mean, you just said it, the followers of Jesus, each one of them laid their lives down. Uh, you know, outside of John, all of them died pretty violently and, and, um, and yet laid their lives down, turned the other cheek and, and the way of love. Uh, I, I, this is the thing that fascinates me. I want to be able to answer that question. You, how do you handle evil in the way of love? Because I don't believe that the only way you stop evil is with a, with a sword. I believe that it's proven in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, that that's not actually the answer to our question. And, and so, I mean, that's the conversation we're having. That how, do you, how do you address evil outside of violence? And for me, it's how do I love my wife today well? How do I love my kids well? How do I be loved well today? How do I be Christ in this moment? And, and I know that those are the simplest, easiest, practical places, but I'm a practical theologian, so... That's kind of <laughs> except that you're you're jumping us off into the deep end of theodicy here. Um, we're just going to solve the problem of evil today, aren't we? Yeah, right. I, that's not even that <laughs> Jesus solved it already. So how do I live from the solution? Like you know what I'm saying? Like uh, it's it, there is a paradigm shift that takes yep. place. Just like when I went back to read scripture, it's constantly reassessing and remembering and getting off Twitter and not engaging. And if I do engage, it's in the way of love, the logic of love. You know, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Jared, not looking for answers, but. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, as soon as you start getting into major specifics, it's, it's a case by case sure, sure. on what's actually going on and how you yeah. might do it. But I think we need to, we need to start with from the place of the cross is, the great methodology of how evil is overcome. Mm -hmm. And this is the blueprint he's handed us to us and goes here, here is how I have overcome evil in some ways it's once and for all, but in another kind of uh, mystical way, we are then involved in now overcoming evil in the same way. So it's, he has defeated death, but we join in now yeah. in, in the yeah. ongoing overcoming of, of evil with him. And so if we reject the way of the cross and go, let me try and solve evil in another way, we shouldn't be surprised if it's ineffective, right? It, the only way that evil has been or ever will be truly overcome is by the way of the cross, which again, will look different when you flesh it out in different situations, but it, the basics are um, absorbing other people's anger and violence peacefully, um, forgiveness. Yeah, that's and, it. And love. So he, he, it's just, it's, it's not being a doormat, but his, what he did was, um, very, very, 
powerful and subversive. It started a movement. Um, and that can be one of the, you know, made mis misunderstandings of Christian pacifism or, or nonviolence is that they think it means inactivity yeah. and that's not it's it not at it. all. You no, know, you look at, at someone all. like MLK and go, this is far from inactivity, yeah, but right. he refused to reach for the sword. Yeah. And so it's, it's, we need kind of a rebooting of an imagination towards peace building. Yeah. Cause mm -hmm. our, our imagination That's has good, been man. severely, our imagination has been so limited that we just kind of have this false dilemma of, well, we either respond with violence or yeah. we, we do nothing and, yeah. and we don't care about injustice. It's like, no, no, no. There's a whole world in between reaching for the sword and doing nothing. And our imagination needs to recapture the, the many, many ways that we can respond. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah. that's so good, Jared. I, I mean, I, I immediately think about um, International Justice Mission, uh, I think is a, a wonderful organization. You know, there's over 45 million people trapped in modern day slavery today. More people are enslaved in our earth than ever was at any time in human history through mm -hmm. sex trafficking, through uh, indentured servanthood in India. And one of the ways that they, and their founder, Gary Haugen, deals with this justice issue is through um, enforcement, that there does need to be an enforcement of what we would say law and justice um, for the sake of the protection of the marginalized. You know, in Guatemala, for instance, the, they opened up the school system. The girls were all free to get a great education. They felt education was the way out of poverty and, you know, um, particularly with, with females, the girls, girls were getting raped on the way to school. So they didn't go Sorry. to school. And so, okay. and so they were like, Hey, well, right. we, we need to enforce the laws on the books so that these girls can go get an education. I mean, the, the little boys brought into fishing servanthood on Lake Volta in, in uh, Africa. I mean, I can tell, I can tell countless stories, the sex traffic in, in the Philippines, um, you know, so that that enforcement of law uh, is is a a good thing in terms of restraining evil, so that good can be accomplished. But ultimately, there's going to be this eradication of evil, and I think that's part of that mystical part that we're thinking about and heading towards. Where it's like, where am I complicit? And that's what I love about your answer, Jared. Is we can look internally at our own you know, our own complicity in these things and then say, okay, well, then how can I, in the words of my, my daughter, love everyone the most? Th th this to me is what we will be, what will navigate our lives. And what to me, that's worshiping God. Worshiping God is loving everyone the most. And so um, I ask people this question often and say, well, who, who is your enemy right now? Who is your enemy? You know, and of course, <laughs> yeah, I mean, in our culture, good. it's like, well, uh, Democrats are my enemy or Republicans are my enemy. It's like, yeah, are they really like, let's really think this through to the end. And when you realize we don't have any true enemies in, in this type of culture, um, not, not to the extent that we read about certainly in, in the biblical text. Um, so what can we do to navigate towards this, you know, this eradication of evil? I, I do have theories about evil. I personally don't believe a God in any way, shape, or form 
enacted evil, created evil, or uses evil. I think he's incapable of evil in the same way he's incapable of lying. Um, you know, God can do anything. Well, no, he can't lie. So, and my own personal uh, platitude on that would be if God is responsible for evil in terms of creating it, allowing it, letting things pass through his hands in that kind of control element, then I don't want anything to do with him, but I want everything to do with the God that looks like Jesus. So I guess for me, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of, it's still up in the air. Um, but, uh, but the question of evil has really been erased in my mind as God having any responsibility for it and yet taking responsibility for what I would call the evolution of evil that was created by man's man's sinful acts. Um, now I'm just yeah. rambling. Now. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. And, and, and it, no, it's, it's good. And I think, you know, we, we can say, okay, well, how do we know that, uh, evil doesn't stem from God? Cause Jesus showed us, yeah, um, right. one of the yeah. things I like to kind of say is like, you know, when the lady reaches out and grabs the hem of his garment, uh, in the crowd, if, if God was full of both death and life and he gave sickness and health, it might be playing roulette to grab his, his hem. Like she might've died at like studying the ark. She might've gotten any number of diseases. If he's carrying both, if they come from him to give, to teach character and things like that. But no, she, she, she touches and unintentionally, and you might say out comes healing because that's the only thing in the tank. Yeah. And, and we know from, from Jesus Evil never proceeds from him. He resists every temptation. He loves everyone. He's violent to no one. He heals anyone that comes to him. And it's like, okay, this is why we we can have that confidence. Um, and I'm I'm just so thankful that that we yeah. have that clarity because without that, yeah, we'd be totally lost. Yeah. Well, and then yeah. and then, then and real quick, Jason, because I know you got something, but no, the pushback you get is, but but he's coming back with a sword in his mouth and he's going to slay, you know, and it's like, okay, can you possibly, you know, engage with metaphor and hyperbole and apocalyptic literature? I mean, we, we kind of like Bingo. assign, yeah. we assign metaphor to the land of milk and honey, but then we don't to the eternal lake of fire. I mean, where I, now I'm taking this in a whole different direction, but, um, you know, you get that pushback, but he, he came peacefully, but he's coming back. Uh, violently. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't think he changes then, then he changes. He's not the same that he was yesterday and today and forever. Yep. Yeah. That's good, Derek. I think what you're saying and that as, um, you know, we have this phrase, I don't know, but he's good. And I, I, I don't know how many times a day I might use that. And it applies in all kinds of places. I don't know, but he's good. He looks like Jesus. And, um, you know, when people ask me if I'm a pacifist, uh, I, I want to tell them yes, but I know that it, it, it's like they have a particular lens on it. And, and so the moment they throw it on me, uh, you know, then they're going to, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to defend things. I'm going to step in between. Uh, it's not, it's, it's the same as when they ask me if I'm a universalist. I'm like, not in the way you think it, man. Like, <laughs> like I believe God is reconciling all things, but, uh, I'm not doing it in the dualistic nature of good and evil. Like I'm, I'm convinced he's love. And, and so, you know, when I, when we talk about uh, being a pacifist, I'm like, well, yeah, like Jesus was a pacifist, you know, um, he pulled a whip out, but he, he also died for the people on the other side of the table. Like, 
like uh, it was always cruciform love. It was always cruciform love. It was he he knew the answer was I'm going to lay my life down. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It sure is seemed like they knew what they were doing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And yet here we are. And that that's where I can put my I, all my eggs are in that basket. I'm like, OK, uh, that's that's the power of the good news. That's in fact, that's how, how power is defined. It's redefined in cruciform love when you go, man, goodness. Anyway, now I'm preaching. Yeah, and the whole whip thing, because people bring that one out a lot. Well, he, he whipped people. He whipped them in the temple. It's like even on the surface of the text, he took time to make this yeah. whatever cord of whips. Because yeah. that's probably what you need to drive animals out. You know, I don't think he was wildly whipping people. Um, I even heard something recently I thought was pretty cool about when he asked them if they had swords when they were going you know, do you have swords? No, we yeah. have two, yeah, yeah. you know, and one, the gospel account yeah. there. Uh, I heard someone teaching on this recently and they're like, you know, could it be that he knew the Romans would not take them seriously as a band of rebels that were trying to overthrow the Roman government if they didn't have any weapons whatsoever? So the fact hmm. that a weapon That's was bad. pulled out to whip off Malchus's ear, um, he immediately showed what his true desires were no healing we don't this is not how we solve things and yet the tactic of saying yeah but we better have some weapons here so that they think we're serious about overthrowing them so that i can go to the cross and <laughs> enter into death on your behalf i mean i don't know i just thought that was pretty a cool yeah, yeah. that's interesting i heard that one yeah <clears throat> i mean you guys are going to get me going for another hour if you start <laughs> if you start visit visiting it's it's one of my favorite things to visit <clears throat> the different texts where people try and prove that Jesus is violent because yeah. each one of them is just bless their heart. They're, they're trying their best, <clears throat> right. but it's just right. not there. Right. It's like, <clears throat> it literally says so that they might be numbered among the transgressors. So it's like, it, Hey, it needs to look this way. <clears throat> and then it's just like you said, Derek, and they need to appear this way. And then when you just read the, the story the whole way through, the one conclusion you cannot draw is that he meant for them to use them right? Uh, right. because he then he, he reverses the violence and heals the one use of the sword. And Peter's like, Oh shoot, I got carried away. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. However you want to interpret him uh, asking them to have, or asking if they have swords, the story shows us that the absolute one reason it can't be is because he thought they should use them. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. That's your takeaway. <clears throat> <laughs> they just well, needed we a they them. needed a weapon for evidence. Once they had that, then they could go ahead and nail that's, them to the cross. That's a cool thought. That's a, there you that's go. That's a wild thought. I mean, uh, God might be smarter than us, and if he was involved in that process, I feel like he might have known. Yeah, this is this will get it done. We just need a couple of swords. <laughs> he, he's very good at speaking to us in the context of our understanding. That is for <laughs> right. sure. Jared, man, this has been so good. I think we're hitting an hour here. Um, any other final thoughts of yeah, I've loved what's it. burning burning on your heart right now and what direction you're kind of chasing? No, I think I would just encourage people um, if some of this journey feels quite new, I think like Jason said, um, the terms pacifism are uh, they've got a ton of baggage and they're quite loaded terms because of how they've been used. And I wouldn't start there if people are thinking suddenly, wow, I've got to be Gandhi. You know, it's like, okay, no, 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 this, that's starting in the wrong place. I would just encourage people to, um, 
really focus on um, the Sermon on the Mount and his road to and through the the cross as our model or in fancy terminology, our methodology to overcome and approach evil. And um, I think when we do that, that will then get fleshed out in different ways. Um, And so for me, that's been a pretty clear rejection of the sword uh, or the gun. Um, Yeah. But uh, that would be my advice and my recommendation to really just go, you know, I'm really going to major on the Sermon on the Mount and on the teaching and the life of Jesus and let that be the center of my theology and and my truth and then let things go from there. And I would say that for me, um, even the language, like trying to be a pacifist, I'm like, no, it's the fruit. It's almost become the fruit of my intimacy. Derek and I use the language um, that the more um, convinced I am in love, the more dogmatic I am in love, the less uh, dogmatic I am around you about anything else. Like I can be with you and and connect with you. And so so to me, uh, if I were describing pacifism, it's almost the fruit of intimacy. It's the fruit of friendship. I don't know if that's where you would go with that, but but um it, it's, it uncomplicates it for me because like you said, there's so much baggage around that word and uh, so much um, dualistic thinking around that word. And mm. suddenly we're having a conversation with the problem of evil and now we're counting sins. And I've never found uh, the reality is, is that's not even what Jesus did at the cross. God was in Christ, not counting sins. Um, so anyway, that those are my thoughts on it. Um, it, it I, I appreciate you saying, Hey, don't start there. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm reminded of Romans 14, um, you know, where it says, let's agree to use all our energies in getting along with each other. You know, don't drag people down by finding fault. Uh, one place, I think here in the message paraphrase, it says, you know, cultivate your own relationship with God, but don't impose it on others. Your fortune, if you behavior and your belief are coherent. So it's kind of like, you know, quit trying maybe push your things on other people jesus himself didn't do that he made it out there and whether it was received or not was kind of up to the to the person but i do think that there's a necessity necessity to, to speak out in love and um center in on what mattered and you know I think there are some people doing this right now in a really great way. Andy Stanley is one of them that's coming back to the gravity of the words of Jesus over, you know, all of the Bible to say, we really need to emphasize, emphasize these words, his life. And um, so, uh, yeah, it's not, an, it's not an easy track, but it, uh, it is a way of hopefully unifying ultimately uh, what the kingdom culture is supposed to be. So, and we appreciate you doing that, Jared, in a in a really genuine, practical yeah. way. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll say this, and this is my segue into tacos, right? Ready for yeah. But but I will say, you made a comment earlier about about where you were, and how you had friends, and how you got to discuss these these new thoughts with friends. And then I I was reminded of you, you know you said you have a kind Instagram community that there's a they're kind. And it stuck out to me because um, I feel the same way. I'm surrounded by kind people, and 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 I and I and I think part of that is that the further down this road of love, uh, the kinder I'm becoming. And it's this almost this 
unique culture that gets developed around you of, of, of kind, kind hearted people who are open to a conversation that don't have to gather around agreement. And, and so I, I, I don't know. I think that that's, um, I think that's key to everything we're talking about. Uh, it's the kindness of God that leads us to change the way we think anyway. So, um, mm -hmm. there's something, uh, uh, I'm convinced some of the ways that evil is destroyed is uh, through a, a, a bunch of people who know the kindness of God and live as expressions of it. That's and good, in that Jason. context, um, are, 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 are eating together and gathering together. And, and if they're gathering together, they're eating because that's what you do when you gather together. And if they're eating, they're probably eating tacos. It's true. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be at the the big the the, the wedding feast will certainly <laughs> involve tacos. I hadn't thought of that yet. That's new. What's the taco? You're in you're in the UK. Yeah, uh, it's a fish and chips. It, what, what what's the thing there that that you're going to do? Uh, and then the best taco you could maybe find, or maybe I, I mean you're from Texas, dude, so you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in terms of the food I like here. Um, I would say, so fish and chips, I do enjoy a good fish and chips. I think I really have developed a taste for a great curry. So okay. takeout Indian is fantastic here. It's great, yeah. great, great, great Indian food. Um, but, you know, obviously being a Texan, living right on the border of Mexico yeah. for my whole childhood through teenage and early adult. Um, and then even move, moving to California where, where again, there's a strong, um, Mexican influence. It's, there has been great tacos in my life and it's made me, <laughs> it's definitely made me something of a snob. Um, and so I guess probably one funny thing that, uh, my wife and I do, um, is on our last days in texas whenever we do like a, a a vacation back to texas from england you know we'll eat so many tacos obviously that week or two weeks but on our last day tacos will often be our last stop there, right. there's a really great place in austin called taco deli um and we'll get just some killer tacos there but we'll buy a, a double portion Right, and they, and they're all wrapped in tin foil, and then we just take them back to England. So we'll fly right. it on the plane in our carry on, and then we'll have Texas tacos <laughs> back here in England to kind of kind of bring that back with us. Wow! Um, so yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's what we do. That is a beautiful man. I thing. love that a double portion. It's just so scriptural too, right? <laughs> Great catch. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I was, uh, I've told this story before. I, I went to Austin a few years ago and I was there three nights. And the first night I found a taco truck, uh, and that, or I wasn't a taco truck. It was, but it was right. It was kind of, it might as well have been, it was a dive. Um, and that's where I ate for three nights. <laughs> I didn't go anywhere nice. else. It was so nice. good. I was like, I don't need, I don't need to do anything well, else. Well, for the curry in England. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Some yeah. of the absolute best. And then, uh, of course, you've got your halal and shawarma kind of stuff mixed in there, which is, you know, yeah, it's theory that every culture has a taco. They may not call it that, but yeah. that's basically that's right. <laughs> you know, what is your culture's taco? That's right. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, this is really, really good connecting with you, reconnecting uh, and around the goodness of God like this, bro. Um, yeah. Uh, where do, where do people find you? Um, so right now, uh, 
it's mainly um, Instagram and more recently threads. I don't know if you guys are on threads yet, but no. uh, yeah, so that's, that's the new kind of Twitter re- replacement put out by Instagram. Um, <clears throat> so I'm uh, I try and put most of my content on um, Instagram and now I'm a bit more thinky and chatty on threads because it's, it's more word centric, obviously. Uh, and then just, you know, on Instagram or is where I'll, I'll promote different projects that I have going on some different writing pieces that are coming out. Um, I've got a few different kinds of books in the works. Um, one that, um, people may be interested in if, uh, they're interested in this conversation about Jesus and nonviolence. Um, I've co-authored a, um, a kid's book that's coming out, um, it's actually already for pre-order, even though we haven't quite promoted it yet, but cool. it's going to, it's going to come out in spring of 24 <clears throat> and it's called Jesus versus the bad guys. Um, it's being published by Tyndale and it's basically um, having kids explore the question of how Jesus uh, confronts and engages with bad guys. You know, does he, does he ride in on a T-Rex and take him out. Do, you know, does he blast him with fart cannons? That that sort of stuff, um, <laughs> or does he use his super superpower of love and forgiveness? So it kind of um, draws to the surface uh, the I think undertaught enemy love of Jesus in in, yeah. in terms of kids books. Um, yeah. So that's that's something that's um, the cover's done. The, the artwork's almost done. It's 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 coming out, and super excited about that. Wow! Um, and then, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Some other bits and pieces that I'll, I'll show on, on Instagram, some other writing po- uh, projects. What's the handle? Um, just at Jared Nash, N E U S C H. Man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the book. I don't have littles anymore, but, uh, but my wife, we have, uh, she's constantly connecting with in that, in that field. So. That'll and those grandkids, a lot of littles, you know, littles yes, in our yes, church. Now, Who knows how many years? Yeah, I would love to introduce <laughs> that. I'm definitely going to check and, it out. And, yeah. Jared, and, thanks yeah, so much and for, for being with us, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having you, me. It's been really fun to chat. Yeah. Love you, man. Appreciate you. Yeah. Hey, guys. So glad you joined us on Rethinking God with Tacos. You can find me, Jason Clark, online at familystory.org where I encourage you to sign up on our mailing list. We send out an email twice a month letting you know about new podcasts, articles, and new books or products that we have coming out. Plus, occasionally I'll keep you up on my schedule where I'm traveling. My Twitter handle is at Jason Clark is. I'm on Instagram under the same handle and you can find me on Facebook as well. Yeah, and my name is Derek Turner. Jason and I love that you're listening to us. Thank you for all your feedback. Please write in, let us know what's going on in your life. But uh, we are pursuing a mission to help people rethink God. And we thank you for being a part of it. Uh, you can find me at Pastor Derek T on all the socials. And then, of course, I pastor a church here in Charlotte, North Carolina called River Church, rivercharlotte.com. Come and join us. We'd love to have you. Hey, all of these podcasts are available on all the platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google. Yeah. Hey, make sure and like, share, and 
throw a review out there. Let people know. We love good reviews on the podcast. It helps people find us. That's right. So if this isn't a podcast that you enjoy, <laughs> then please promote it, share it, give it a good five-star rating. I like that. That's a good idea. Hey, love doing this journey with you. Praying grace and wonder over you today. <laughs>